I want to speak to you about the wrath of God. And now we're looking at this topic because we're going through the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey today. But this letter was written over about 2,000 years ago to this church, which was one of the three churches which was located in the Lycus Valley. And today we have arrived at Colossians chapter 3, verse 6. Last week, we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. And Paul told us in verse 5, what? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. We said the message there was very simple. Paul said, kill your sexual sin. That's what we looked at last week. Why should we kill our sexual sin? Actually, there are two reasons. First of all, we should kill it because it's not who we are. And verse 1 to 4 actually speaks about that. Uh, We should kill it uh, because it's not who we are. That's why verse 5 starts with put to death therefore. In light of what Paul has said in verse 1 to 4. What has he said? He has said that we are now raised with Christ and sat in the heavenly places. And that we have glory ahead of us. Right? So we should kill any sexual sin. Indeed, any sin. Because it is not who we are. That's the first answer. We have a new life with Christ and we have eternal glory waiting for us when Christ appears. The second answer is in verse 6, why we should kill our sin. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Paul is saying, you must kill your sin because all who live in sin are under the wrath and judgment of God. On account of these, not just these sins, on account of sin, The wrath of God is coming. So today, what I want us to focus on is on the I want to focus on the wrath of God on sinners. Now, before we go through this subject, we need to keep in mind what the wrath of God is and what the wrath of God is not. This will help us avoid a lot of confusion we meet when it comes to the wrath of God. The wrath of God is a righteous anger, the righteous fury, and the righteous hatred of God against sin and sinners that leads the Almighty God to punish all who oppose His holy nature. The wrath of God is the righteous anger, the righteous fury, the righteous hatred of God against sin and sinners that leads the Almighty God to punish all that opposes His holy nature. God is wrathful towards sin and sinners because sin and sinners oppose his nature. If God gives a wink to sin, he would not be God. He would be a sinner like the rest of us. In fact, if God gives a wink to sin, he would not be the God of love. Because that means God doesn't have love within himself. He doesn't care about himself. So we can't have the God of love without the God of wrath. So we should be clear about what the wrath of God is. But we should also be clear, when we talk about the wrath of God, we need to remember what it is not. It is not like our wrath, fury, or anger. Our wrath or anger is often an outburst. It is often irrational, isn't it? Most of the time when I get angry, 
I do it because my pride has been wounded. And I'm not able to live with that. And so I get angry at whatever is in my way. And that's true for you, beloved. But I all have preached from here and reminded us that righteous anger is very rare indeed. Very rare indeed. Most of our anger is irrational, it's foolish, it's prideful. In fact, I would say probably more all of it, really. They are very rare to have righteous anger. So the wrath of God is not like that. Because God is unchanging. Okay? So God has no passions like us. He does not go through any changes within his divine nature. I, the Lord, changes not, the Bible says. You and I cannot drive God crazy, actually, or force him to act in any way, because God is self-existent and self-sufficient. We cannot make God, in his divine nature, even to suffer or become distressed in some way, in his very divine essence. Now, of course, God has experienced that in Christ, but I'm talking about God the Father here in his essence. Now, I know the Bible often uses the language, especially in the Old Testament, that suggests that human beings have made God distressed or angry or even broken his heart, right? Well, the reason the Bible uses such words is because God accommodates himself to us, you see. He knows that we are finite creatures. So he uses words we can understand. True words, but approximate words. Sometimes I try and describe something to my daughter, which is very complicated. So what do I do? I find the closest thing to what she can understand. I'm aware that it can't fully capture what I'm saying, but it's correct because it's a good approximation. God does that with us. And God can do that using words which are familiar to us because God made us in his image, isn't he? So our character is the closest thing we know to the character of God, even in our fallenness. So we need to remember that when we say God is wrathful or God is angry, his wrath is both similar in some way to our wrath, but at the same time it is infinitely different from us. The wrath of God is right. It is a necessary reaction of God to evil. It is a settled wrath. God is only wrathful when the wrath is called for. The wrath of God is righteous, is settled. It's not driven by impulse. It's a determined, settled thing. Now, with that in mind, let us look at three important truths that verse 6 is teaching us about the wrath of God. And all of these points are in your outline there in front of you. The first truth this morning I want us to see from verse 2, verse 6 is that all sinners are under the wrath of God now. All sinners, all who live in sin, all who have not turned to Christ, are under the wrath of God now. That's the first point. Now, I'm not just saying that you're probably surprised if you're reading your Bible very carefully. Because verse 6 seems to be saying, actually, that the wrath of God is in the future. Certainly if you have the ESV, but not the KJV. If you have the ESV, it says, what does it say? It says, on account of this, the wrath of God is coming. Surely that sounds like the future. 
Well, the key point to note here is that in the original language, actually, verse 6 is in fact in the present tense. I'll leave you to debate with the translators why sometimes they put it in the future tense, but I think the reason for that is that it captures both. But in the original language, it literally says the wrath of God comes. In fact, as I said, most other translations put it like that. The KJV says the wrath of God cometh. The present tense is important, isn't it? Because Paul is saying, all who live in sin are under the wrath of God now. Yes, they have not experienced all of it yet, but it is here. They can touch, they can even sense, feel it as we shall see. It is here. Now, as believers, we probably know this already, of course, because we know that from the moment a person is born into this world, the wrath and anger of God is already resting on them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 3, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, he reminds them how they were before they became Christians. He says this, Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all, Paul includes himself, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and listen to this, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying the wrath of God rests on every human being, even a tiny baby, when they are born in this world. The Ephesians were under God's wrath. God was angry with them because they were born as enemies of God with the rest of mankind. And that's the situation for every person when they enter this world. In fact, we might call this the positional wrath of God. That's what I call it. Because ever since Adam sinned against God, all human beings, as I said, are born enemies positionally by virtue of being descendants of Adam. They are under the wrath of God. But it is worse than that. When the Bible speaks here of the wrath of God cometh, the Bible is not merely speaking of positional wrath. It is saying all sinners right now experience the wrath of God. It is not just a name they have, child of wrath. Their life experiences in the here and now is that they are living out this truth, that they are children of wrath. And sin has experienced the wrath of God in three ways. First of all, you can write this down, very important. First of all, God often lets sinners experience his wrath by leaving them alone in sin. The prophet Isaiah, God speaking to the prophet Hosea, says in Hosea 4 verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols. And what's God's response? Leave him alone. That's God's wrath on Ephraim. You see, God often takes away his restraining grace from some people. He allows sinners to plunge deeper and deeper in abominable and debasing sin. They think it is freedom, but it's actually the wrath of God on them. Sometimes God allows sinners to remain blind to his goodness and grace. He lets them act foolishly. 
He allows their hearts to harden through sin. He sometimes allows them to wallow in sexual sin, greed, envy, slanderous spirit, unforgiveness, lying, pride, and all manner of sins they tolerate. God often makes it harder for sinners to hear the word of God preached to them. He makes it harder for them to hear. When they hear it, they only have accusations against it. He does that so that they would be held under his wrath and that God will prevent them from turning to him. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Are you finding the word of God harder to hear it this morning? Then know for certain that the wrath of God is resting on your soul. God lets them love their sin so much that they wouldn't truly repent and surrender to Christ. And he gives some a false peace. God does. Because God is against them in their sin. So God, one way God does this is that he lets sinners experience his wrath by leaving them alone in sin. Secondly, God lets sinners experience his wrath by sending to them all manner of pain and suffering in this life. If they are trusting in riches, they lose it. Sometimes. If family is their idol, it makes their family bitter to them. If they put their faith in government to save them, it sends them a corrupt and evil government. If idolatry, uh, if their idolatry is physical um, strength, it may withdraw their physical strength so that their foolish reliance on themselves is plain to see. Now, all of these things can happen to children of God. But when God allows them in our lives as his children, he does it to build us up. As Hebrews 12, we discussed the Bible study. But when he allows it in the, for the wicked, he does it to crush them, to bring them to their knees in this life. And for sinners, whatever they suffer is in vain. It has no purpose. It has no real value because they are without God and without hope in the world. The third way sinners experience the wrath of God is, of course, in death. Now, of course, every person dies, including children of God. But the death of those who live in sin is different, friends. When a true child of God dies, death is a rescue from the sin, filth, and pain of this world. And a true child of God, even in a difficult situation, they know deep in their heart that this world is not their home, as we read from 2 Corinthians 5. And they enjoy peace, even in face of death, as a result of that. But when a person lives in, who lives in sin dies, oh, friends, when a person who lives in sin dies, death cuts off their hope in life. They have lived all their life clinging onto this world as their only hope. 
And when God calls their time, it is as if God is cutting off the umbilical cord that has connected them to the things of this world. And it terrifies them. Listen to me, beloved. No sinner ever dies a good death. No sinner. The writer of Hebrews says, all sinners are imprisoned with a lifelong fear of death. Hebrews 2. The heart of sinners tremble at the severance from this life. I want to be very clear, beloved. Brothers and sisters. If you're sat here this morning, I don't care what your age is. If you're sat this morning, and you are able to hear the message of God this morning, and you take away anything else from this message, it is this. If you have not turned to Christ, genuinely turned to Christ, you will die a very miserable death. A very miserable death. Death will strip you of all your glory. Death will strip you of all your beauty. It will strip you of all that you have worked for in this world. It will strip you of everything you ever loved. You won't carry it with you. Naked you came, naked you go. You will be severed from this life and ushered in to deeper wrath and judgment of God as we see. Remember, your refusal to turn to Christ is not... God letting you off. It is you being under the wrath and judgment of God now. That's the first thing we learn here. All sinners are under the wrath of God, not tomorrow, already now. Now. The second thing we learn here is that all sinners will face the wrath of God in hell. There's a future sense of the wrath of God to come. And it is coming in hell. That's the second thing. Now, I don't know what you consider to be the most dangerous place to live on, or to live on earth. For me, it's the old mining town of Centralia in Pennsylvania in the USA. You know, the town used to have a thousand people. But if you go there now, there are signs everywhere warning every visitor of the dangerous death they can have by asphy asphyxiation or just being swallowed by the ground. The area is a smoldering ghost town. It's been burning like that for over half a century. It started with a fire which was intentionally actually set off to burn a landfill there in 1962. The problem was that the landfill was also an odd pit, an odd mine pit, right? which had connected to a maze of abandoned underground mining tunnels full of coal. So even though the town extinguished the fire from above, a much bigger inferno builds underneath. And it eventually just keeps, has kept to build and it eventually engulfed all of Centralia. The fire is so widespread, so destructive, it can never be stopped. 
And it is said there's enough coal underground to burn the fuel for another 250 years. Now, when the Bible talks about the most dangerous place to live in all of God's creation, it's another place where the fire of God, like Centralia, never stops. And the place is hell. It's hell. That's the name. The Apostle Jude, in his short letter, which we looked at in detail in verse 6 and verse 13, describes hell as a place where the, utter, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Now again, we must remember that these images are trying to describe something that stretches our words and imaginations beyond limit. Whatever you and I imagine hell to be, it is infinitely much worse than that. It is worse than all the torture chambers in human history put together. That is a sobering truth, isn't it? But it's worse than that. It is this truth that hell is not empty. Hell always receives new residents. Every second, God himself throws sinners into hell. The Lord Jesus spoke about that in Mark chapter 9. You know, many people regard God as an abused lover, right? That has nowhere else to go. Like, no matter how horrible we treat God, he has nowhere to turn. He always just put up with us. But the Bible says the opposite. It says God punishes sinners when they die. They are under his wrath now, and when they die, they go to hell. Every person who is not a follower of Christ will go to hell. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says this, The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. Until when? Until the day of judgment. Jude, chapter, Jude 7 says this, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality, Pursued a natural desire, save what? As an example, now they are in hell by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And in our passage, Paul says this, doesn't he? On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. What Paul, what Paul means is that the wrath of God comes, isn't it? Or is coming, it includes the wrath of God, of hell, the wrath of hell that comes to those who live in sin. Now listen to me very carefully. Perhaps you find this truth boring. Perhaps you do. I think that's because you have not understood what we are talking about here when we talk about hell. Hell is a place where sinners have no enjoyment of the blessing presence of God. It doesn't mean God is absent in hell. No. God is present in hell. But he's present there in his wrath to sinners. Loved ones who never turn to Christ are facing this God there, now. Loved ones 
We know who haven't come to Christ. This is what they'll face when they get there. I want you to really understand this morning that all the wonderful and comforting attributes of God, which we read about in the Bible, which saints today delight in and saints in heaven are delighting in, in hell hell, they are turned backwards. The infinite justice of God is in hell, but it is against sinners. God in hell refuses to remove their guilt His justice guarantees that they will keep being punished in hell forever. His faithfulness is against them in hell. Because God has promised he must punish sinners. And in hell he keeps his word. The infinite holiness of God is against sinners in hell. It is a wonderful thing that God is holy to us now in Christ. But in hell it is different. God looks at them in hell and he only has perfect hatred against sinners. His very holiness, his very love, his holiness constrains his love in hell. The infinite power of God, which sinners once benefited from in this world, as God held their life together as a sustainer. In hell, it stands Upside down. God is still there with his almighty power. He's still sustaining them. But why is he sustaining them in hell? He's sustaining them for all eternity so they can bear his wrath. The power of God guarantees there is no escape to the wrath of God in hell. Not for a single moment. Every moment there is just waves and waves of divine wrath. You know, I have experienced physical and emotional pain in my life that has made me cry, made me cry on my bed. Constant pain. But I've always known that it will end. I've always known that. I cannot imagine the physical pain of endless suffering. The emotional void of hurting without anyone to comfort you. To know that there is no escape. And to suffer all of that. Knowing that you have done this to yourself. And you now wish to reverse the clock back. But it is too late. The horror of hell is impossible to come to terms with. And so many of us shut our ears. We shut our ears to it. But whether your ears are listening or they are shut, it doesn't change the shocking truth of verse 6. On account of this, the wrath of God cometh. Is coming and it is resting on the wicked in hell now. That's the second truth, isn't it? First truth, those sinners are under the wrath 
of God now and all sinners will face the wrath of God in hell. Final truth. All sinners will face the wrath of God's final judgment. You know, in one sense, this is Paul's main thought in verse 6 when he says, on account of this, the wrath of God is coming. Paul is saying to the Colossians, do not be misled by those who think there is no judgment. God has made it clear in his revelation that a day is coming when he will judge all those who are in hell and those still living on earth when Christ comes. We know that Paul has that that in mind because we just read from 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, which makes that point. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10 also makes that point. It's all over Paul's writing. Now, just five quick things you need to know about the Day of Judgment. Five quick things. We don't have much time. First of all, the Day of Judgment will take place after everyone is raised to life. There is a second resurrection coming. Everybody will die. Some go to heaven, some go to, to hell. And then a day is coming when God will raise everyone from the dead, physically. And they will be judged by God. We know that because Revelation 20, verse 13 tells us, doesn't it? The last book of the Bible. Chapter 20, verse 13 says, And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And then what? And they were judged, each one of them according to what they had done. That's the first thing. It happens. We don't know when it will happen, but it will happen after the resurrection of everyone. The second resurrection. Secondly, we know who the judge is. The judge is the Lord Jesus Christ. John 5, verse 22, Christ says this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The same Christ who died and bled on that cross will be my judge on that day. I hope the name of Jesus doesn't send you to sleep. I hope the name of Jesus doesn't make you no want to listen. I hope the name of Jesus warms your heart when you hear it. It needs to warm your heart. Because the name of Jesus won't warm your heart on judgment day if it doesn't warm your heart now. Christ will be our judge. He certainly warms my heart. He certainly excites me to know that. He certainly takes away my fear. To know that that Christ who bled on that cross will be my judge. And if it doesn't excite you, then I pray that you genuinely become a Christian. So the judge will be Christ. The third thing, every human being will be judged. That's the third thing you need to know. The final judgment will be a judgment of everyone including followers of Christ. We don't have much time to spend on that. But Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, tells us that, doesn't it? Then I saw a great throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Verse 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. We read that. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. 
Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Everyone will be judged. Fourth thing, those found guilty will be condemned by Christ to continue their punishment forever in hell. Verse 15 of what we just read says, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said in Matthew 25, 41, Then he will say, that is Christ, he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The final thing about the day of judgment. All those who are true followers of Christ, who have been truly born again, will be, of course, acquitted. Based not on our work, but on the work of Christ. Now, many people find this truth, that God will hold people to account as vindictive or even useless. Why can't bygones just be bygones, they say? Well, the answer is the character of God demands it. God is faithful. He has said he would do it, so it must be done. God is also just. He must punish sin. Think about it. If God doesn't punish Hitler, then he has to apologize for the Holocaust. God has to. But he won't, because that is man's sin at work. And so he must judge Hitler, he must judge you for your sin. God is also love, isn't he? And you know who God loves more than anyone else? Who? His son. He must punish the sinner who has rejected and murdered his son. If God doesn't judge sinners... Well, he doesn't love his son. Then God is not a God of love. He loves his son and he must punish sinners. So here then is a conclusion. To summarize, not quite the end, but to summarize what Paul is saying in verse 6. Paul is saying three things to us. First of all, all sinners are under the wrath of God. And they experience this wrath in this life. Don't forget that. Secondly, all sinners face the wrath of God in hell. The wrath of God cometh. It cometh in hell when they die with no exception. And if you are not a true Christian this morning, you are heading to hell. Finally, all sinners will face the wrath of God on the day of judgment. And I've already summarized to you five important things about the day of judgment. Now, this raises an important question which we must answer before we come to an end. How are we supposed to live in light of this? Why is Paul teaching us that all sinners will live, or will live in sin under the wrath of God. I know we don't want to hear it, but why is Paul put it down here? Well, I think two things I just want to leave you with today. First of all, it is here to encourage us to examine our life. To truly check, friends, whether we are under the present and future wrath of God. This morning, in light of what is at stake, Do not take this truth for granted, beloved. Do not presume all is well between you and God 
because you've been baptized. Do not presume on his well because you'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper this evening. Examine your heart. Husbands, examine, help examine the hearts of your wives. Wives, help examine the hearts of your husbands. Are they standing in the faith? Parents, help examine the condition of your children. Don't presume, beloved. What is at stake is infinitely more than we can imagine. It is the most dangerous thing that can ever happen to anyone. Examine, are you a true Christian? Remember, you enter this world default under hell, under the present wrath of God, under the future wrath of God. That's your default. Have you escaped that? Is there evidence you have escaped that? The good news of the Bible that Christ came to die on that cross to bear the wrath and judgment of God. We can't really be saved from this wrath. And only Christ himself can save us. Why? Because Christ is fully God and fully man. Only God can bear the wrath of God. That's why God put on our human flesh. He went on that cross to bear the infinite wrath of God. Christ has done it. And we know Christ has done it because there he was, wasn't he? Torn, beaten, nailed to a cross of wood. And then what happened? The, grass, the, 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 the ground underneath shook, didn't it? There was a great shaking. Why was there a shaking? Well, because the earth was about to be darkened, wasn't it? The earth was now darkened. And why was that? Because the wrath of God was being poured out on Christ. All the wrath and judgment that you deserve poured on him. Christ took the wrath of God for you. And if you truly repent, no box ticking, true repentance, Christ, this very moment, can shelter you from the wrath of God. But your repentance must be genuine. A complete surrender to God. And it must be a change that shows that you have been changed. It is not sufficient to order discussion with me and tell me your story. That isn't going to take you to heaven. You must be convinced in your own heart. There must be no one on judgment day. I remind people two things. My, my responsibility as a pastor is that there will be no one on judgment day who never had, who, who, can, who can never say they never were the one ever taught. I repeat it to people I think they are completely lost outside. I repeat to people I think are just here as nominal believers. And I repeat it to people who encourage me. Because I'm still concerned about them. As I'm concerned about myself. All of us must examine ourselves. Are you a born again believer really? Are you trusting in Christ? Have you truly repented to him? As, have you cried out to Christ, Lord, I am under the wrath of God. I am bound for hell. I am heading for everlasting punishment. 
Please, Lord, change me. Give me a new heart. And have you seen the heaviness of a new heart? That's what I'm talking about. What's the evidence, you ask? Do you love him? Do you long to serve him? Do you hate your sin? Are you at war against your sin? Does the preaching of the word warm your heart? Or does it make you hate the preacher even who tells you the truth? Examine yourself. You must answer these questions honestly. Because if the answer to this question is negative, then you're most likely under the wrath of God. Right now, the face of God is against you. And when you die, you suffer in hell forever. I think I said the second thing I, I resolved to do is, is that I, don't, I plead with people. Do not base your salvation on me. Don't let your confidence be based that I had a chat with Chola. Or Chola baptized me. Or Chola welcomed me into membership. Oh, friend, if that's your basis, if that's your basis, then you are to be pitied. I'm just a man. I'm a fellow sinner. I can misjudge even the works of grace in people. You must make sure. You must make sure all is well between you and God. So ask yourself, am I truly converted? That's the first thing. Moving on quickly, and thank you for your patience. Secondly, the second thing we must do, the first thing is examine ourselves and truly repent. The second thing is this. If you are a true Christian, and God has persuaded you that you are, then this truth is meant to grow your resolve to keep on living for Christ, not for the perishing things of this world. How does this truth help us grow in Christ? Well, the more we meditate on the wrath of God, the more we hate sin, and the more we endure in Christ. It's that simple. We need to hear what we've heard this morning, beloved. Yes, I know some of you find that, I found it boring, but you must hear it. And I plead with you to commit yourself to studying for yourself the wrath of God. It will keep you from hell. It will acquit you on that day, doing what I've suggested. Now that puzzles you, isn't it? Because you know, of course, I'm a Calvinist. Yes, I believe God keeps his people. But I also believe that God has ordained the means through which he keeps his people. The Bible is clear God keeps us in Christ, but the Bible is also clear the way God keeps us in Christ is through means. And one of the means God uses is the preaching of his word. And one of the means is the warnings of his wrath in the Bible. Verse 6 is your best friend, friend. It is the Bible keeping you in Christ if you're truly converted. Treasure verse 6. It is heartbreaking when we consider it in the context of our family members, our friends we love. And it should break our hearts. At the same time, it is our best friend in Christ. Keep reading it. Let it remind you that this world is under the wrath of God. Let it teach you that there's nothing worse in life than being without Christ. Let it remind you that the most powerful and richest sinners in this world are bound for hell. 
Many of those, in fact, probably nearly more, 99.9% .9 of people we saw at the funeral in that great thing are bound for hell. Remember that. Those the world admire are heading for hell forever. But this is not for you in Christ. Keep remembering that anyone who refuses to turn to Christ is not a person to be envied. You're not missing out on anything. The only thing you're missing out on is the wrath of God. So make it your habit to meditate on the wrath of God. And the more you do it, the more you treasure Christ, because Christ is your only escape from the wrath of God. The more you meditate on the wrath of God, the more you cope better with suffering on earth. You know, we are often sad people, aren't we? We are often battered people. And when we are battered, we get sad. And we get sad because we forget what God has saved us from. He saved us from the wrath of God. The Christian's glass is always full. Because no matter how terrible this world gets, we are free from the wrath to come. So let this meditating on the wrath of God free you from worrying about things of this world. And let it comfort you as you face pain in this world. Think about the wrath of God who grow your passion to tell others about Jesus. Listen, you don't share Christ with people because you doubt the wrath of God. The problem is not that you doubt the love of God. You know, sometimes we think we don't tell people others because we don't we forget God loves them. No! We know that. We forget that the wrath of God is on them. It's the other doctrine missing, you see. The doctrine of the wrath of God. And so the more you meditate on it, the more you want to share the gospel with them. So that they can escape the wrath of God to come. And of course, thinking about the wrath of God will change how you do family. Oh, friends, it will change your parenting. It will. It surely will. Because you realize that all of these things you're doing for your children, you're building on sand. And it's not going to keep them from the wrath of God. Your priority in life must be to save them from the wrath of God now, the wrath of God in hell, and the wrath of God to come. Convince me this morning. Is there anything more important than that? Shouldn't that be your priority every week when you get up? Isn't that your greatest demonstration of the love for your kids? That you've given all your efforts? Isn't this the greatest demonstration of your love for your spouse? That you've given all of yourself to keep your spouse from the wrath of God? It changes, doesn't it? It changes how you do church. Because if the wrath of God is coming... What are the means God has devised to keep you? The preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, the fellowship of the saints. All of these things we do in the church, they are there to keep you from this world. Sure, shouldn't you prize them, these things, more highly? Shouldn't our Bible studies here in the midweek be full as we look at Zephaniah and his warning of the wrath of God? Shouldn't the evening fellowship be full here as Gavin preaches? You're doing a lot in your life, for your family, at work. But are you doing the main thing? 
fleeing yourself from the wrath of hell and helping your family free from that. Just imagine if this was your priority. Ask yourself, how would your family look? I have deliberately spoken to you at length and today I'm not apologizing. I've done it on purpose. Because there's no greater message, no greater love I can show you than to tell you that the wrath of God is coming and you must flee from hell. Amen.